We're continuing our series this morning, as, as we said, called New Love on, on, on John. Before we start today, I've got something, I've got subtitles as I go through the kind of my notes, and the next one is just love the Bible. <laughs> but one thing that I really wanted to share, thank you, <laughs> um, is that over the last few years, I have found just an absolute incredible love for, for the written word and, and the Bible. And it's something that for many years escaped me. Um, and I really feel like I kind of missed the point. I really felt like, in hindsight, I was picking up the Bible, the Word, Scripture, um, and I would pick it up to try and find solutions to a current problem I was in, or I would pick it up out of a, an obligation or, or, or a tick-boxing exercise. Um, and, it, and it changed a few years ago, and I think I, I picked up an app, uh, the Bible in 365 days, um, and I started to, to, to work through that, and I actually managed to get through the Bible in record time. So instead of 365 days, it took me two and a half years. So, <laughs> but I got there. And, and at the end of it, it, it was like a penny dropped, and certainly partway through, and I just found this new discovery. And I wanted to share that this morning, because I really feel like as I've, as I've kind of continued in that and I'm currently starting again and we're going to try and beat two and a half years, I've picked up Nicky Gumbel's Bible in 365 days, so please keep, keep me accountable to that. When you pick it up and you really use it to get closer to God, to understand God more, to use it to reveal something about where you are, and this isn't going to be knowledge to a number of you, but it is absolutely profound. And I have loved it, learning new things. Every time I pick it up, there seems to be something different that just is incredible. And that's never more the case than when I'm reading the gospel. It, and, and, it, and it truly is just beautiful. And as I read the passage that we're reading today, John 16, I really just got an absolute incredible sense of that. But I'm hoping that we can kind of think on this morning. And we've been praying, one of the reasons, normally I, I would be up here sorting my notes out a little bit earlier, I would have done a mic test, um, and that didn't happen, I ran in at 10.32, <laughs> and because we were in the prayer group down, uh, down the hall, which, which meets at 9.45, and just what was happening in there this morning, and has been happening every week, has been absolutely incredible. And, and Jason has been praying on catching fire and, and, and this analogy of, of kind of catching fire. And as I read John 16, 25 to 33 that we're going to be looking on this morning, I got a sense that this isn't, this isn't a spark. This isn't a, 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 a flame here or there. This is the fire. This is the fire. This is what we are called into. This is what is available to every single one of us. And there is one question on that, to step into that and just be set ablaze. And that is, do you believe? So before we start this morning, I just want to pray. Oh, Lord, we praise your glorious name and we welcome you here today. Meet us in this place and speak to us, your beloved children. Close every year to things that are not of you. And fill us with your word. Set a fire in our hearts and reveal yourself to us. We pray in your name. 
Amen. Perfect. So as I said, we're continuing our series on John called First Love. And, and we find ourselves in John 16, verses 25 to 33. So the, the, the words, I think, are going to appear. Um, this is the ESV English Standard Version, the, the, word that I, uh, the, the, the version that I quite enjoy to read. And, and it says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. This is Jesus talking. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that you will ask the Father on, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you believe now? Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, where you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So, obviously, we've been carrying our series. I had, I had a look back, actually, and we obviously had a break. We've been working through John, and I think we were speaking on John well over 12 months ago, and we've done series since then. And, and also, as part of that, when we kind of um, split the Bible up, we have this amazing way that we split it up into chapters and verses to make it kind of accessible, to make it so that we can reference it. But at times, I think we can be a little bit siloed. So seeing as we uh, are talking on this passage, and it's been quite a long time, I, th I thought it would be useful, worthwhile to kind of flip back on kind of where we're coming from. It's also a little bit of a hint that we've actually started this verse and said, I have said these things to you. So kind of the first question that I had looking at this was, Okay, what things? So here we are. So we're in John 16, and, and it pretty much starts back in John 13. So there's obviously the, 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 the gospel's been leading up to this point, but John 13 starts with, um, just before Passover, it, it said that, that Jesus and his disciples are having meals. So you've got John 13 where they're having a meal. It leads directly into John kind of 14. Um, at the end of that, Jesus says, let's, let's get up, let's go for a walk. And you have 15 and 16 that very much lead into each other as well. And there's a perception there that they're, they're kind of going for um, a walk. But, but it's very much an understanding that at the very least, these chapters should be kind of viewed together. There is a, a real a sense of Jesus with his chosen talking about vitally important things and kind of teaching them really personal kind of things. And, and there's a perception that it's most likely on a, on a single evening. So as we've read through John 13 and 14, there's a few things that are going to stand out. So we saw Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Judas leaves, leaving just the, the 11 disciples. Jesus then talks about a new commandment in, in John 13, and it says, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then at the end of John 13, we have I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think that's something that, sorry, John 14, that that's something that we obviously, as many Christians, will know. But let, it, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know that the way to where I am going. We then have this amazing moment, and, and Jason has spoken on it recently, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Then at the end of John 14, Jesus says, right, let's go, and then that's where we kind of led into, into John 15, and we have this incredible, uh, another analogy that Jesus gets, um, has where he talks about the fact that he is the true vine. And then Jesus talks about the hatred of the world and then again the work of the Holy Spirit. And then John 16 follows directly into this and that's what we've been hearing Jason and, and, and Brian recently talking on with regards to the, to the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's, I just wanted to set the scene to just say like this is what fundamentally is leading to this moment where Jesus turns around and says, okay, let's sit down now. And there's a few common themes. So there's, so there's three. So first, as we've seen it throughout all of these chapters, Jesus says that he is returning to the Father, going away, coming back again. Jesus is foretelling his death and resurrection in, in, in all of these passages. The next, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, and he, and he foretells the coming, and then importantly, and Jason spoke about this, the coming and then the staying of the Holy Spirit and how profound that is and the fact that he's saying, I have to go, but this Holy Spirit is coming and it, it, it's going to be amazing. And then finally, and we see this throughout these passages, we see Jesus talking about the role that he has in knowing the Father. So again, we see these really kind of like known um, I say famous, I mean, the, the whole Bible is famous, but I am the true vine and I am the way, the truth and the life. Like the, the, the role that Jesus has in knowing the Father. And then that's what leads us into this part of John 16 towards the end where Jesus turns around and says, okay, I'm going to stop talking to you in figures of speech. It's time to sit down and, and, and get serious here. So when I've always read this up until this point, um, I've always thought that that's quite a general way that Jesus kind of speaks because we know that he speaks in parables. So in Mark 4, he says he did not say anything to them without using parables. And, and it's very much a way that we see kind of communication. And obviously that is, that is part of it. Jesus turns around and says, okay, yeah, no, I'm not going to speak to you in, in, in analogies and, and kind of parables. But then equally in, in, in Matthew, it says that when, sorry, in Mark it says that when he speaks to them in parables, when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So there's this sense that actually he's speaking to people in parables, but he always makes sure his disciples kind of know what's going on. And we see that through the rest of the Gospels where they kind of sit down and they say, Jesus, can you explain this parable to us, please? So what we have here is a situation that's a bit further than that. And Jesus turns around and says, okay, I've been speaking to you these in, in, in these analogies. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to drop this. And one thing that came to me when I was reading this is, is, is times where you know that you're about to have a pretty important conversation, aren't you? I've, I've had it with my parents. Sam, please come in. Please sit down. We're going to ask you one question. Oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> We're going to drop the niceties. And it's the same when we talk about the, the medical, professional, don't, uh, medical profession, don't we, where, where when something is so vitally important that we understand that we cannot leave that room without having a clear understanding of what it is. There's that famous phrase in there where it's just like, give it to me straight, give it to me straight, doc. 
That's this moment. It's getting to the point where I'm going to stop speaking to you in analogies. I'm going to, I'm going to sit down. We're going to need to, we're going to need, it's really important that we get this, guys. And what we have built to here is an absolute profound point where it's the great reveal. Do you, do you know when you're, when you're reading an incredible book or novel or, or you're watching a film and there's been so many things that are pointing to something, there's going to be a twist and there's been things that are pointing to it and then there's always that moment where you get to the point in the story where it, it finally starts to be revealed to you and you're kind of like, oh my word, and then things start to make sense. This is that. For the, for the disciples, Jesus turns around and he says to them, this is it. This is what it's been building to. This is what it's about. Everything, everything up until this point, everything from now on, this is fundamentally what it's about, guys. This is, this is what it's always been about. And that's why I just loved it. And when I read this, I was just like, oh, thank you guys for giving this bit to me to preach on. <laughs> it's a really nice thing. But it's just utterly, utterly beautiful. So what we're going to do, we're going to read it again. John 16, verses 25 to 30. Um, and I've got the message version. So the message is obviously a, a, a really useful translation, modern translation to kind of understanding uh, the, the, the Bible. Um, and it says, and I think the words will come up. I've used figures of speech in telling you these things. Soon I will drop the, uh, the figures and tell you about the Father in plain language. Then you can make your requests directly to him in relation to this life I've revealed to you. I won't continue making requests to the Father on your behalf. I won't need to. Because you've gone out on a limb, committed yourself to love and trusting in me, believing I came directly from the Father, the Father loves you directly. First I left the Father and arrived in the world, now I leave the world and travel to the Father. I've been a Christian for quite a long time actually. Um, I decided when I was six or seven that I was going to dedicate my life to Jesus, and I did it in the bath. To, <laughs> and it was an amazing situation, and it's a wonderful story to tell, but ultimately there is a certain perception when you're that old that it was something that I, I thought my mum wanted to hear, and it was a credible thing to do. And I ran around the church that I was part of then, being like, I gave myself to Jesus. Um, and I have to say, actually, while it is incredible, and I had really no idea what I was doing at that point, I really do feel that, 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 that God has honoured that and then 12 or 13 years ago and I apologised because I can't remember the exact date but I was baptised and I was baptised by Jason and it was an absolutely incredible experience and I turned around and I said I'm giving my life to, to, to you God but I have to say since then and before then and it will probably happen again in the future there has been times where I have completely and utterly missed the point and it's usually been when I haven't been too connected in church but it's happened when I've been ridiculously connected in church and serving and doing things because ultimately I had completely missed the point that is revealed right here. And it became a sense of 
ticking boxes and serving and completely forgetting about the fact that I am here. All of this has been because of this great reveal that turns around and says, I can have a personal and direct relationship with the Father because of Jesus. And because of, through the blood of Jesus, I can have a direct relationship with the Father. I won't continue making requests to the Father on your behalf. I won't need to. Because you've gone out on a limb, committed yourself to love and trust in me, believing I came directly from the Father. The Father loves you directly. Excuse me. <laughs> oh. It's the problem with glasses. When you get a little bit teary, it makes it even harder to actually see. This is it. This is it. This is why I hope people get up every Sunday, come to church, go to small group. There is no point in doing a men's breakfast, having flourished the Wendy House, Lighthouse, small groups. There is no point in any of it if you don't ground it in this. And I've lost that at times. And again, I'm ignorant of how completely and unbelievably profound this is. I've spoken about this before. One, one of the books that I absolutely love, and I'm sure people have read it, it's, it's famous, but it's called The Life of Pi. And, and it's not a Christian book, but it's ultimately a book about um, a story of a, a, a young man. And the first half is just exploring uh, religion and, and, and relationships. And there's an incredible part in it where he discovers a church and he goes in and he keeps returning because he sees this man on a cross who, who's dying. And he, there's a priest there and he kind of explains it to him. And it's this incredible situation where you can see it through somebody else's eyes and they can't believe that this is what a God would do because of their other understandings of what they've been told about what God is. And it's that this is complete and utter sacrifice in order to get to know us? Like, how on earth does that make any sense? And you think that the disciples that are sitting there with Jesus when he turns around to this are going to know where they're, like, the, the, the history that's built up into this, which is there were physical dwelling places of God. We, we, we read that in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. We see it in, in the temple. It's ultimately where God dwelt, why that's so vitally important. We see it in the tabernacle in, in Exodus as that's kind of being moved around. And that is where God physically is. And there's this incredible thing when you read the stories that the, 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 the head priest used to have to go in wearing often a, a, a rope on the basis that if he went in and because of his sin was struck down and died, that... Somebody else couldn't go in and get him, otherwise they'd also die. So they'd have to pull the rope. You, 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 I, I love this image of them going in and kind of listening for a thud. <laughs> and yet here they are, sat in front of Jesus, and he turns around and says, you can have this direct relationship with the Father. The Holy Spirit's coming, it's, and it's going to stay, and it's going to be here. The, all of this, all of this is available to you. Because I've been a Christian so long, sometimes I suffer from being underwhelmed and not understanding how incredibly profound and beautiful and amazing this is. And then sometimes I get a little bit overexcited when I get to talk about it. So where do we go from there? Well, the next subtitle that I have 
possibly unfairly, is dense disciples. <laughs> and one of the things I absolutely love is when you go back and you, you, you read the Bible, there are so many face palm moments, aren't there? Just like, oh my word, guys. You kind, of, you, you kind of run through the Old Testament and it's literally like speeding train into the next car crash. <laughs> and they're often the same car crashes. And you just think they're doing things over and over again. And then you kind of get to the New Testament and you hear about these disciples and it continues. And literally, like, you can almost, you, 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 we've, been, we've spoken about it in a small group before. One of the things I love is when you can feel Jesus' frustration come at the disciples coming through in, in the actual verses. Because it utterly shows how human he is and, and, and how human the disciples are. But one thing that I think I've suffered from often when I read back on, on, on these stories is, uh, is an arrogance of, of knowing where this is going. Um, and, and arrogance of thinking that I would have done things uh, slightly differently. Um, and there's a really important um, kind of discipline that I've discovered that when you are reading the Bible, how important it is to kind of put yourself there and assume that you're going to make not only the same mistakes, but probably worse ones, and then see where you get to from there. Because actually, then you start to say, actually, do you know what? I've done those exact same things. George Santayana, uh, San, Santayana has a famous quote, and I'm sure you've all heard it, which is, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But unfortunately, remembering isn't, isn't just the only solution here, because you kind of look back and you remember, but you go, oh, but I'm smarter now, and I know now. And you get to this point where you're kind of reading everything that's just gone on leading up to this point, and you think, how on earth did the disciples not get it until this point? And, and how was it a surprise? You, 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 read, you read John 10, 14, 15, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just that the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And you read that and you know exactly what it's talking to, don't you? you it, it's obvious. But it's like when you watch a, a film that's got a big twist in it. Spoiler alert, but these are all old films, I promise, but Fight Club or The Sixth Sense or maybe even Star Wars Episode Five. You, 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 you know the twists when you re-watch it and you see all the things that are leading up to it, don't you? And when you then read the gospel and you read these things, you think, how on earth could it have been a surprise to these people? I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward. And then you actually acknowledge the fact that it's just like in the situation that they were in and knowing what they would have known, you, you understand that actually it's, it's not because the foretelling of this has been from the very first pages of the Bible throughout. And actually it, it, it takes knowing what's going to happen to kind of see that. So apart from just a nice bit of information, what can we actually do with that? And there's, there's, there's a couple of things. As always, and as true then as it is now, Jesus is intentional and we should trust in him and the plan that he has. I love the fact that Jesus is intentional and he has this grace. I mean, how, many, how different would the gospel have been if Jesus hadn't have simply started with, come follow me? Come follow me and in three years time I'm going to get crucified and then you're going to be on your own and we'll see what happens. <laughs> the, the answer from the disciples is going to be really quite different. But it was clear 
Jesus knew what was happening and he has this grace and he reveals to the disciples at, at the point that they need to know and he does it and it says why he does it in John 16, 33. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is utterly intentional with when he plans for the, the, the reveal to happen because he knows what is coming. He knows what is about to happen and he wants to prepare his disciples. That's something that we've been speaking on. And the thing that I would like to just reflect on and just take from this when I look back at this is how many of us are in exactly the same situation with, the, with where we are in life and we haven't had that reveal yet and we're saying to God, this isn't happening how I expected it to happen. And we get impatient and we get angry and we get upset and we, we feel all of these emotions because we just think, God, if you just, if you just told me what the plan was, and it's going back to the gospel, recentering yourself in that, reminding yourself of the bigger picture that we live in and the promise that is in these pages, but also turning around and saying, I will trust that the, <laughs> that the plans you have for me are so good. Yes. And that is really hard. Sorry, I haven't got it written down on the paper, but I decided that it was something I was going to share this morning, and I did think I was going to cry, and it was going to be emotional. But ultimately, we have plans in our life. I met Sarah when we were, well, a long time ago, probably 18 years ago, I met Sarah. We started dating. There's a few rocky, rocky um, patches in between then. And we've been married now for, it's going to be the most dangerous part of the whole sermon, but we've been married for six years. <laughs> And they have been an absolutely incredible six years, and I'm so blessed. I mean, not as blessed as Sarah, but I'm blessed. <laughs> and I can tell you, after six years of marriage, I didn't expect it to just be me and Sarah still. And we don't know the plans that God has for us. And at times, that is really, really hard. And we sat down at one point... And we were kind of praying a while ago and we said, God, if we just knew what plans you had for us, then we could trust in you and everything would be okay. And the answer we got back is, well, trust in me. You don't need to know the answer yet because it doesn't matter because the plans I have for you are incredible. Excuse me. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh. The plans that God has for us are amazing and in this situation that we're in we will say we will trust in those we don't need to know because it will be revealed to us in good time and we can base our lives on the rock that is this gospel and say this is what we have been promised and it is incredible because what happens if that's not the path that you take well tragically we know because it's in the verses in front of us. I went back to John 13, and it starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet, to 12 disciples. And then Judas is sent away. So we, we, we now know that the rest of these chapters that we're looking at, 
Judas isn't there, he misses, he misses this. He misses the big reveal. He misses the reason why the last three years have happened. He, he misses what it's all been for. He misses what Jesus is promising him, what's available to him. And he does that tragically for him and just because it got to the point where he was just like, this isn't the life I expected. This isn't the Messiah I thought we were being promised. This isn't where I pictured myself when you said, give up everything and follow me. I've got tired. I've got frustrated. I've lost faith in what is happening. And he's sent away in John 13 and he has, he's not there for this. The next thing I just want to go on to is, is belief. So, so I find it absolutely incredible. Well, I, I read this a few times and then it started to dawn on me that I'm kind of like, okay, we're in John, we're in John chapter 16. We just had three years of, of Jesus' ministry and, and miracles after miracles. And then in verse 31, Jesus, Jesus says to them, do you now believe? That seems a really odd place for Jesus to be asking his disciples, his chosen that are in front of him and says, do you now believe? And actually, the question of belief isn't a surprising question to find in the gospel. It's what it's so fundamentally built on. I think that we would all, we would all say that. And out of interest, just because of the person that I am, I decided I wanted to check how many times belief, believed, believed was kind of mentioned in, in John up until this point. So ESV version, it is mentioned 86 times before this question is asked. It's fundamentally written throughout the whole gospel about belief. And there's some incredible moments. And do you know I said to you, I've absolutely loved reading the Bible and I found this like real new love for it. One of the, one of the passages that, that, that jumped out is all the way back in John 1. And I think, think we'll have the, one, the words up here, but it's John 1 verses 44 to, to, to 51. And it says this. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of uh, Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I absolutely love when you see humour coming, coming through in, in the kind of words, particularly when we're talking about Jesus. Because for me, it's probably what talks about Jesus being fully human more than a lot, anything else. Like the, the grief that we see when his loved ones died is, is incredible and there are so many things knitted throughout. But humour just kind of speaks to me. And when I've prayed and, and God's had a joke, usually at my expense, which we laugh about, <laughs> I find it utterly, utterly just fantastic. And what we see here is we've got one of the disciples 
declaring, you are the son of God. And you can almost read it that Jesus actually laughs and says, he's like looking around as if to say, is this, you believe because I told you you were under a fig tree? Like, it, it's, it's like one of those moments, all of my analogies are sports related and I do apologize, but it's like going to see Tiger Woods and stepping back on the first tee and going, he balanced the ball on that tee. It's, it's like, and this is a much better analogy, and I have to thank Pete, but it is like a child seeing a parent doing some work or driving a car and being utterly amazed at something that we're like, this is, this is very normal. But Nathaniel declares his belief at this point, and we see it, we see, we see it throughout. In John 2, Jesus turns water to wine, and it says, what Jesus did here in Cana, in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Belief is spoken about throughout the gospel. It, it says the people believed in him. So why do we get all the way to chapter 16, and Jesus has to turn around to the disciples and says, now do you believe? Well, first things first, it's because Jesus isn't asking about belief of, do you believe that I just turned water to wine? Or do you believe directly following a miracle? Or during the three years that I've been doing this, Jesus has turned around to them and said, the metaphorical rubbish is about to hit the metaphorical fan. I'm about to go. Do you believe? Because it is vitally important that you do. And he is saying, and I have just revealed to you what is available to you. Do you believe in that? I think in our lives, we can have the belief that Nathaniel had in John 1. And the analogies that I keep on thinking, or the, the situations that I keep on thinking about is, I have fully believed leaving Soul Survivor or, or DTI or, or, or big events I leave on a Sunday and I believe when the, when the Spirit has filled the room and been there. But this is more than that. This turns around and says, but do you believe? Because this belief isn't going to change you for two hours on a Sunday. It's not going to change you after a, a big event like New Wine or Soul Survivor. This, this belief is going to change everything about you. It's going to change everything that you do. It took the 11 disciples that are sat there with Jesus at this point, and it has resulted in billions of Christians and the church around the world. That's what this belief can do. It sets us on fire, it sets our hearts on fire. It's all consuming. That's, that is the power of what we're reading here in the belief that we are being asked about from Jesus. And I'm just going to wrap up, so I asked the worship team if they could come up. There's three, possibly three types of people in the room today. And the question for all of us is exactly the same. If you are yet to, to give your life to Jesus, there's a question for you. Do you believe? This is what's been promised to you. John 13, 14, 15, 16, all of this has been promised to you. You, have a, you can have a direct relationship with the Father. And Jesus asks you one simple thing through him, do you believe?
For everybody else who's been one of those disciples that have been with Jesus for those three years, that have been involved in this church, that have known everything that's going on and doing the stuff, Jesus still asks you, okay, but do you believe? Do you believe? And then finally, if anyone here, and we have all been there, and we will be there again, if anyone here left at John 13 and said, I am tired, I've had enough, and have just walked away, because this is not what I thought you had promised me, and this is not the sort of life that I thought I would have. Jesus gracefully turns around to you and says, come back to me, answer this question, do you believe? And if you do, through him, everything is forgiven and you can have a direct relationship with the Father again. One question, now, do you believe? Amen.